Today's show is brought to you by Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Tune in as professional prognosticator and antagonist Cousin Sal breaks down the world of sports gambling. From NFL games to competitive eating contests, Sal offers up his best bets and odds analysis while joined by celebrities, Vegas experts, and his degenerate trifecta of close friends. Subscribe to Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Ringer FC, the Ringer's three-week-old soccer podcast, a project we never would have begun if we knew Manchester United were going to be this good. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Ryan O'Hanlon, an editor at the Ringer, and I'm joined by the Phil Jones to my Eric Bailly, Micah (laughs) Peters. What's up, Micah? What is going on? Um, We're without our... Special one, Chris Ryan this week. Um, it's due okay. To some, I'm the captain now. I'm yeah. sitting in Chris's chair. It's uh, just some squat <laughs> mid-season squad rotation. Um, <laughs> if you haven't listened before, uh, we're mostly going to be talking about the Premier, Premier League, but we're also going to touch on other leagues throughout Europe, La Liga, the Bundesliga, international soccer, Christian Pulisic, Christian Pulisic, Christian Pulisic, <laughs> and maybe a little MLS here and there, too. And then more Christian Pulisic. Yeah. Um, Christian Pulisic and Manchester United um, is what okay, you're going to be getting here. Time out. Before we get into the rest of it, uh, <laughs> is it Christian Pulisic or is it Pulisic? Are you supposed to pronounce it, like, the same way that you're supposed to pronounce, like, Los Feliz is, like, you know, lo- not Los Feliz? I, I, I still don't know how to pronounce Los Feliz, um, so I'm the wrong person to ask. I believe it actually is Pulisic, okay. so ignore the way that I pronounced it um, in the intro. So today we're going to get into some massive overreactions with the Premier League. We're going to bring in our bald correspondent and long-suffering Arsenal fan, Donnie Kwok, for some awards. Then we will talk about the aforementioned Christian Pulisic. (laughs) Um, But before that, we wanted to touch on a brief news story that caught our eye this morning. Uh, According to Sky Sports... PSG will bid £128 million to sign Monaco star Kylian Mbappe. Um, He's like, (laughs) I mean, all this off of what, like really, a really, really good six months of of soccer, Yeah, I think. An incredibly good six months of soccer um, for an 18-year-old, I think is the point to make. Yeah. It's just that, you know, it's a lot. Which yeah. I think it was the the Monaco Ultras. Um, <laughs> that was their point this morning. Uh, I believe they said, what, what what was it exactly? Was it just like... So the Monaco Ultras came out against this move and they said, we think that no player is worth so many millions of euros. We believe football is for everyone and values such as the love of the shirt and respect for the club where you... Be- where you've been your career, for your career. We cannot accept that one of our players has acted in, in that way and demands such figures without having disputed more than a few dozen matches at professional <laughs> level. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, listen, I, all of that is fine. All of that is fine and good. You know, that is, 
the I mean like that standard tack for things that you would hope that you know your home players stay home mm-hmm. and this that and the other thing but I just had to know what Monaco Ultras looked like yes which and I don't want to make any find? I don't want to make any play statements but I do see that uh, Benjamin Winyo uh, <laughs> who is the spokesperson for you know the Monaco Ultras? Mm-hmm. A screenshot in a cursory Google image search reveals Mr. Benjamin Wino giving an interview in front of a marina <laughs> with, <laughs> with just mad yachts in the background. Just you know, I, perhaps you know, like looking very perturbed. I mean, like perhaps the. You know, the water was too blue and the ocean breeze was too calming. I don't yeah, really know. <laughs> it was hurting his eyes. The The sun was so bright, it was burning the back of his neck through the two popped collars. Um, <laughs> so what we're saying here is that um, it's a bit rich for these supporters of a team in a what is essentially a tax haven um, in one of the wealthiest places on the planet for those fans to uh, get upset about the rising rates of transfer fees and player salaries in international soccer. I think the ultras throughout the world sort of have a political bent depending on what team they support or how the supporter groups sort of came to be. I can't really imagine what how Monaco fans will protest. Are they going to shower the field in, like, Cartier watches or something? I have no idea. Um, I, and, I mean, like, you know, I'm... Honestly, not rich enough to even fathom it, probably. <laughs> yeah. I, you listen, hey, M- Mbappe, take the money and run. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, this past summer, Italy fans sort of protested this younger goalie, Gianluigi Donnarumma, who was holding out for a higher salary by showering him with fake money. I think when <laughs> Mbappe plays Monaco for the first time, it's going to be real. Like millions of actual dollars will be dumped on his head while he's taking a free kick. We'll get back to PSG um, later and when we talk a little bit about Neymar, but let's get into the massive reactions from the second week. Right. Massive overreactions. First one, Tottenham will never, ever win another home game. Agree or disagree? <laughs> you know, I, like, I, I don't want to say they'll never win another home game. That's too strong. But, I mean, <laughs> this, <laughs> this past weekend was just... Uh, just woefully unfortunate. I mean, thinking about they might have. Uh, well, first of all, Marcus Alonso hit a a pristine like a, this is like chapel ceiling. Yeah, beautiful free kick. Yeah, if you could frame a free kick. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, in Tottenham were actually unlucky not to equalize before before halftime. Uh, Harry Kane cut back across, I want to say it was Victor Moses, and picked out the far post. And it just, like, you know, pinged it directly off mm-hmm. of the post. And it came straight back. And I just want to, like, take a second to think about how perfectly you have to strike a ball to hit a round post and have it ricochet directly yep. back at you. Yep. That is just savage misfortune. It's one of those shots I used to have a coach who would say that if there was one less... Uh, coating of paint on the post, the ball would have went in. I, I think you can apply that to Harry Kane's uh, miss in the first half. So some of the narrative that's going around in the British press, Tottenham has moved, they're moving to a new stadium, 
their old stadium, White Hart Lane, they didn't lose a game at last season. They're temporarily playing in Wembley, which is theoretically one of the greatest stadiums in the world. Theoretically, the Be- being the, the, the operative word Yeah, there. looks beautiful from far away, has so many seats, but it's sort of a cavernous atmosphere. Um, so Tottenham losing their first home game in a long time and it coming at Wembley sort of provides a very convenient narrative for why they didn't win the game. But it's usually just the same things that are always the problem with Tottenham. It's just that they have a very strong first team and very shaky backups. Exactly. So I think we can write off the, I don't think Marcos Alonso hit that free kick because he was playing in Wembley. I don't think if he was in White Hart Lane, he would have not been able to hit a ball like that. Quote, unquote, Wembley magic. Um, So I think we can write that narrative off, but I think we should talk a little bit about why, whether there are any issues for Tottenham from this game, actually, whether it was sort of an evenly played game um, that Chelsea just came out of on the right side. Um, What do you take from this game going forward if you're Tottenham? Well, I think that the the crucial thing that you take away from this game is that Trippier and Davies are extremely not Danny Rose and Kyle yes. Walker. <laughs> yep, I totally agree. Um, I mean, like it was. I mean, like Davies did a. I mean, a decent job. I I think that Trippier was also okay, but I mean, like at the same time, like he's shorter, not as strong, not as fast, not as like attacking minded. Can't put in those crosses. A lot of them didn't clear the first defender. I mean. Um, I mean, then again, also just hold on to Dembele for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so, so. If you're looking at looking at this game from the sense of what's different between this Tottenham team and the Tottenham team from last year, it's exactly what you said. It's Kyle Walker's getting red carded for Man City now, <laughs> and Danny Rose. We have he's essentially unhappy with the team because he's not. He's having his wages suppressed by Daniel Levy, which is a thing that happens. Um, so they're missing their two fullbacks. And I think you can probably look at Chelsea changed their tactics for this game a little bit. They played David Luiz as a center mid. They usually only play with two. They played with three, um, which meant they didn't have wingers on either side. They only had fullbacks. To me, that's Conte essentially saying these two fullbacks on Tottenham aren't shit. <laughs> and we're not going to worry about them. Um, and it did, for me, the game felt like all of Tottenham's attacks were sort of predicated on like firing a ball into Harry Kane's feet and then having him hold off like four people and then letting the rest of the team progress forward or having him somehow turn out of, out of like ridiculous pressure yeah. and then ripping a shot. Um, so I think that is probably an issue for Tottenham. Um, addressing their fullback situation. Um, but overall, at the same time, it's, you know, a Marcos Alonso free kick and a I mean, Marcos him just Alonso bomb. drilling the ball from, like, the thing that you need to take away from this game is that more people need to be firing and low shots at the near post through a collapsing angle. Exactly. You might just get lucky. Without looking <laughs> yeah. at the goal, either. Um, so I think, I think if you're Tottenham, it's kind of a situation of, we probably could have won this game if a couple things went our way. Um, and Chelsea is just 
good again. Um, but on to the thing that uh, I God. could not wait to talk about. <sighs> Manchester wanna... United. You know what? <laughs> you know, let me let me not let me let me tempt for myself. Manchester United looked really good again this weekend. You know, another four zero win. How are you doing over there? By the way, it's, I mean, I'm just. This is going to be the same podcast every week, <laughs> which is really upsetting. Um, I mean, I think that the four zero scoreline definitely belies the difficulty of most of the game. Uh, yeah, it took so them they beat Swansea four nothing four nothing on the weekend. That's their second. Four nothing win in two games. Yeah, uh, it's just delectable. Anyway, uh, right before right before halftime, uh, Paul Pogba drills a header at Fabianski, who tips it off of the crossbar. Eric Bailly touched it in. Uh, it was kind of you know it wasn't a pretty goal, but it's a goal nonetheless, yeah. uh, and definitely one that they needed. They needed to break through there. Uh, I think Swansea was frustrating them. They looked. A little bit like, you know, 2016-17 Manchester United briefly there yeah. for a minute. Um, and then at the end of the game, in three minutes and 41 seconds, scored three goals. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, I'm just, like it's just like, you know, thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we talked about last week that was sort of the thing they didn't necessarily do that last year. They'd either let a team hang around or they just wouldn't. They wouldn't even get that first goal in the first half. Well, it's just kind of like, you know— they didn't have that tendency to just, you know, okay, well, this isn't working. We're just going to run through the gears and yeah, and just kind of like ramp this up a little bit because we can't leave here without three points. Yeah, isn't a kind of the, they didn't have that gumption last year. So or, our our overreaction here um, is that Manchester United has already won the Premier League. Um, <laughs> and that is that is not a reverse jinx. I don't believe in things like that. Um, so I just want you to know, because you can't see what Ryan is doing, he, he looked briefly away out of shame because yeah. he knows exactly what he's trying to do. He is trying to reverse jinx. Yeah, I also knocked on wood when I was saying that. Um, so let's, let's to temper the, the hype a little bit, Let's hear from Jose Mourinho. Here, here's what he had to say after the game on Sunday. Um, car and driver subscriber Jose Mourinho, I'm guessing, based on this quote. But it's not always a motorway. You always find difficult roads and roadworks, and we have to be ready. <laughs> you want to put some context on that quote? Well, you know, he just has a poet's heart. That's all. That's all there really is to it. But no, I mean, I think that he's cautious about saying things like we are definitely going to make a legitimate title challenge this year um but i mean like he's back in the swing of things i mean jose Mourinho historically has a really good second season when he's in charge of a team yep. but also like to echo the thing he said immediately after the game which is just kind of like you know i hope well not really hope that <laughs> we go behind so i can see what that's like because it's a totally different thing when you have to battle back from 1-0 down or 2-0 down or whatever, yep. like it's it becomes a largely, like as much of a mental challenge as it is a physical one. And I, I mean, like you see flashes of frustration from, like Lukaku is when he when you know like when he sprays the ball wide when he lays it off and nobody's there. Yeah, Pogba when he you know plays a pass to. An ultimately wasteful teammate, or if he loses 
if he loses the ball, yeah. you know, does the recovery foul, you those are like things that get amplified when you're down yep. instead of leading. Plus it's also you know, when a when a team, especially a team like Swansea or West Ham, um, when they take the lead against you, they just play differently. They can play differently. They can sit back a little more, make it harder for you to break them down, and then as you push out more, you're more vulnerable to counterattacks. So I think it it does change the way you have to play a little bit because um, pr- the team that scores against you, ch- against you changes how they play too. And then I think, again, we kind of we still just haven't seen them play. These Swansea and West Ham are not good teams, <laughs> I, I think it's yeah. fair to say. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen them play a good team yet, um, and we don't know... How Mourinho is going to deal with that? Um, are they going to play the same lineup they've been playing? Um, but the sort of the underlying thing with all this is that he has so many options to deal with the best teams in the league um, that all the other best teams don't really seem to have. Um, you know, so far the beyond the obvious stats of Manu <laughs> scoring eight goals and conceding zero. Their expected goals numbers are incredible. Chances created, their shots numbers, shots on target. All of their, there's no, there's been nothing lucky about Manu these first two games other yeah. than I guess they're a little lucky to have played two bad teams. They're not bad teams, but. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's also an, uh, a matter of doing the things that they're supposed to mm-hmm. against the teams that they're supposed to, which is not, a, again, not a thing that they did last year. Yeah. I mean, and, and I just got to talk for a second about Vava intercepting a pass at midfield <laughs> and then running the entire length of the field and lifting it over Fabianski for, I mean, like, it was, oh, it was just, I, I struggle to think of a word better than sexy. For, for what it was, it was truly sexy. And it's <laughs> I, that's the first time I've ever said that about anything related to Manchester United. Um, I think he, I think Pogba's been the clear best player in the league the first two leagues. Oh, first yeah. two leagues, it's not even a question. Um, and that goal that he scored against Swansea sort of shows why we hype him up so much, right? Yeah. He makes this defensive action as a midfielder, then fucking busts down the field and gets on the end of the ball in the box and has a very tight angle with a keeper coming out on him, and he just dinks it right over him like he's a like it's not thirty five year old striker who's been yeah. doing that his entire life. Yet he's a twenty something midfielder. Seeing him in the game against Swansea, incredibly, he touched the ball more in Swansea's box than any player on Manchester United. And he's, you know, if you were putting a hierarchy of where players are in the field, he's the deep at, lying at highest, the fifth highest player. There's yeah. three attacking mids ahead of him and Lukaku. Um, and I think there are two things here. There are the fact that they're controlling these games so much allows him to get forward like that. Um because the teams aren't as good that they're playing, but it's also he has this insane ability to not be out of position as a midfielder, but be so deep and so involved in the attack. Yeah, honestly, because he has three lungs and can gallop like a horse. It's yeah. crazy. And has the and like foot skills of a ballerina. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's really not fair. Um, <laughs> but if Manu is going to sort of take over the league, I think, doing it on Pogba's back is the way I would want to see it happen. Um, but the other thing here is that Manu is the only top six 
contender team. We're not counting Everton. Um, give give us a couple more weeks on that one. Um, they're the only team that's perfect through two games, so they're already two points ahead of their closest competitors, which like isn't a lot, but it's still it's the margins are going to be so tight this season. I think yeah. it's something, right? Yeah, it definitely is. But on to Marcus Alonso, <laughs> <laughs> the best and most beautiful left back in the world. I don't know if I'm really prepared to actually I, I don't know. Maybe I should walk that back a little. It's just that I couldn't <laughs> I understand, you know, getting getting beat at your dear post, uh, Hugo Lloris. I mean, you know, I too got lost in his amber waves. Yep. It's it's kind of it's ridiculous, actually. <laughs> I can't figure out what he looks like. I I asked my girlfriend this morning um to look up Marcos Alonso. And she said that her best guess is that he is a Cro-Magnon Orlando Bloom. That's how she described <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my word. He's got the soft eyes and soft features of Orlando Bloom with the giant, like forehead, giant forehead. forehead and a distinguished chin. Um, I honestly don't think I can do better than that. I think I think I think your girlfriend wins. Yeah, I've. It's tough to beat that. I don't even want to play anymore. Yeah. Well, then we'll leave it at that. <laughs> if you have better suggestions, let us know. Um, but we should actually talk about him as a player. I think, at least for me, one of the ways. So Chelsea, you know, last year switched to a th- three defender system with two wing backs, and that co- coincided with them basically taking over the league and winning it all. Um, one of the wing backs is Victor Moses, who. I mean, Journeyman played at Liverpool, West Ham as like yeah. a wing forward. People then... do not feel kindly about him in Liverpool, and I don't think they do at West Ham either. <laughs> um, and suddenly, basically started every game for the best team in the league. Um, yeah. And Marcos Alonso is the left back who came in the last day of of, yeah. of the the transfer window. A former uh, Sunderland defender. Yeah. Um, which Sunderland is where happiness and. Dreams go to die. Ability go go to die. Also played for Bolton for three years, which just sort of boggles my mind. But so seeing these two guys succeed, it's easy to look at. It was easy to look at their wingbacks as, oh, it's actually pretty easy to play wingback for Antonio Conte. Um, Anyone can do it. But against Tottenham, Alonso scored twice, an insane free kick, and then. Him and David Luiz uh, combined to pick Victor Wanyama's pocket. Then Alonso makes a run forward, gets a ball into the box from Pedro, doesn't even look at the goal and just rips the ball through um, I Hugo th- Lloris's legs. I mean, like, I don't know. Do, does, does, he, does he mean to do that, or was he trying to drill a low ball across the face of goal so that somebody could poke it in? I think the... The no look nature of it makes me think he was shooting because that's true. He to no look across is kind of silly because you need to see where your teammates are. Um, and I think the purity with which he hit that free kick sort of earns him the benefit of the doubt I, in this that situation. Is, that is, I cannot argue with that logic. So I think, you know, he's sort of, at least in this game, he this is kind of a argument against the fact that he's a product of the system. Um, 
even if you're sort of a mediocre player in all other facets of the game, if you can hit free kicks like that and you can get on the end of balls in the box and finish them, you're adding value to your team. Yeah. Right? Um, so a week later, Chelsea was in crisis, as you heard on this podcast last <laughs> week. And now they're beating Tottenham in Wembley away. Um, what do you think changed um, for them? Other than uh, other than Fabregas not being on the field, <laughs> yeah, to, and Tim Kate, to, uh, to sarcastically cap clap at people, yeah, and not having Peter Check in goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I mean, I think uh, it was kind of like a return to form for you know the. Uh, I guess how would how would you describe it? Uh, that that weird uh, thing where you know they only have to be the better team for maybe like fifteen minutes at a time. Yeah, uh, that's a very Chelsea thing. Yeah, exactly. I, and it was, I mean, like it was on display here against Tottenham. I mean, because like I was like I was saying, like Tottenham were very threatening throughout. Yeah, the entire game. I mean, like it felt like at any time they could crack it open. Yeah, but I mean, you know. Chelsea did the thing where they bend, don't break, and they took their chances when they came. Yeah. Um, so I think that they are no longer in crisis. Nope. <laughs> um, but I really don't know if 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 Misi Batshuayi is ever going to play again. <laughs> I've like Conte has been so anti. I just typically been historically been anti playing these youth products, but I think it he would play like a twelve year old over Mishi um, in the next game um, because uh, actually I texted one of my friends when Mishi came on. Mishi Batshuayi, <clears throat> the striker for Chelsea, has a really good record of scoring goals when he plays for Chelsea. He doesn't play that much, but he basically always scores when he plays. I texted yeah. someone, he's going to score right when he comes on. And then he did. He just <laughs> scored in the wrong goal. Um, so unfortunate. Yeah, it, it's one of those... You, if you don't feel bad for him, you just have you're no a Tottenham soul. fan. Oh yeah, which or those the, things are interchangeable. Okay. Just kidding. Just I don't want to. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was Ryan. It wasn't me. Stay out my mentions. But I think you're right. I think you know it did seem like Tottenham could break through at any moment, but they never did. And yeah, they had a Chelsea gave up a ton of shots, but these were all very low quality chances. Um, and like we were saying earlier. The chances that Tottenham got, it seemed like they had to work so hard to just like create them in the first place. Um, and it's that's a thing that happens against Chelsea, whether it was under Mourinho or Conte. It's like, you know, if that Kane shot hits the post and goes in, it's a different game, but it almost never does. You know? Yeah. How, how did true. how did you think? So this was the debut for Timoy um, Bagioko. Yeah. Thoughts. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's just like him and Conte don't compliment each other like at all. It's, I mean, he's not a controlling presence in the, I mean, like it's, it, it felt like he was chasing the game. Yeah. Uh, is, I, I think is the way that I would describe mm-hmm. it. I mean, and uh, it was, it's just kind of like the, you, you get rid of Modic and you bring in, Bagioko, and it's kind of just like a rawer player uh, mm-hmm. that 
can't really do can't really pull the strings in the midfield. I mean, he's I mean, like very I mean, like very powerful, just not that graceful. Yeah. It's uh so he basically returned to training like four days before the game and then played ninety minutes. So we should sort of give him that benefit oh, of the yeah, doubt. Absolutely. But it that was sort of the question I think a lot of people had with this move in the first place was what does he do different than Conte? He's he's a really good dribbler with the ball, um, but defensively there's sort of like these ball winners. Um, but Conte, the whole sort both, of the whole point of Conte, right, is like he does the job of multiple people. So you don't yeah. need another guy who can do what he does. It lets you have Fabregas basically on the field. I mean, it's 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 like it's taller Conte that can win balls in the air. Yeah, um, and I mean, like even so, like they're both just very. I mean, like largely destructive players, mm-hmm. and I they, yeah, they just don't complement each other. Yeah, it was, you know, as a center mid, you're sort of one of the guys who's most involved in the game, right? Because you're involved in offense and defense. Um, but Bakayoko had the least touches of anyone on Chelsea and completed the least passes, which are just like, if you're not doing either of those things, if you're not getting on the ball and you're not completing passes in midfield, you're kind of it's just not clear what you're actually doing. Um, he did kind of, you know, if you look at sort of go back and look at where he's getting on the ball, he was sort of all over the field too, just yeah. in random spots. And he gave away the free kick that led to Tottenham's goal. Um, the way I would describe it is shouldn't write him off yet, obviously, but yeah, he like needs an adjustment. Period. None of the question. I mean, it was probably the toughest situation he could have been put into for his first game. Definitely. Um, but all, all of the questions we had, I think. Are still there. We are about to bring in Donnie Kwok to talk about Arsenal and some awards from the weekend, but uh, first we're going to take a quick break. Listen, guys, before we go, I wanted to tell you about the Ringer NFL show. The season is fast approaching, so get prepared with our NFL networks, Michael Lombardi, Robert Mays, and Kevin Clark, as well as guests from the league and beyond. They'll be covering every snap, every down, every play, so you don't miss out on the action. So subscribe and listen to the Ringer NFL show, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now we'd like to welcome Ringer... East Coast Bureau Chief, bald yep. correspondent, and whatever title you've added this week, <laughs> Donnie Clock. What's up, Donnie? Hard man. Hard man. Hard man. Hard man. Yeah. So we're going to get into some awards from the weekend, uh, zonal question marks, as we're calling them. Uh, first question, what was the most relatable moment of the weekend, Donnie? It's a great question, actually. I was listening to you guys gushing over Pogba. A.K.A. Pog Bust. I'm getting sick over here. So. Oh, shut up. <laughs> so you guys were describing him as sexy, and I'm going to take it to dirty, because there was like <laughs> some really interesting, dirty plays uh, over the weekend. Actually, a few of them happened in the same match, which was West Ham versus Southampton. Um, Marco Arnautovic, A.K.A. Mad Marco, also known as... <laughs> No budgets, Latin. He he went up for a header and was summarily elbowed in the face by Mario Lamina of Southampton. Uh, So he fell to ground. Moments later, Lamina himself was chopped down by Mark Noble of West Ham. It was actually a really bad tackle. And and if you look at 
uh, I think his Instagram the next day, Lamina, he put up a picture of his shin uh, with a huge long gash. Um, he, so actually, he needs to get that like treated. Stitched, yeah, he, stitched he's, up, he's like, leaving it raw. I mean, it's, like that's I mean beneath your your shin guard, that's staph infection. <laughs> it was straight know. sliding studs. They were both sliding, and it was just it was a classic Mark Noble tackle, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but that neither of those were the most violent play of the weekend. What happened later was Arnautovic, you know, is bleeding with rage just did a drive-by left arm elbow shiver to the neck of, uh, I believe it was Jack Stevens of West Ham, defender. Just basically unprovoked. Well, he was provoked, but he just got the wrong guy. And it was kind of like in Boys in the Hood when Ricky died. (laughs) He hit the wrong target. So it was a drive-by and it was an innocent guy that he took out. But I really, you know, it was so dirty it was almost ridiculous. Like Arnautovic had the gall to do the who me look after he got the red card. (laughs) (laughs) And if you look at it on replay, it was so premeditated and it's just something you don't really see in football or in soccer. And because I'm such a big hockey fan, I kind of like random acts of violence. I have to admit it was something that for you hockey fans out there, someone like Brad Marchand would pull off. Uh, (laughs) He had the audacity really to think that he could just right in front of the referee elbow another dude in the neck and get away with it so of course yeah. he apologized later on instagram or did and i ca- <laughs> i counted him up he has five red cards uh in his career for country and club so it's not the first time mad marco's been sent off the thing i liked about this i mean i didn't actually like this but you know typically when someone gets elbowed in the face it's because the ball is in the air and people are going up for a header but totally the- Stevens just had the ball at his feet and Arnautovic just came up from behind him and just elbowed him in the head. Totally unsuspecting. (laughs) I have to give one more honorable mention to Eric Dyer uh, on Sunday. He took out two Chelsea players. I can't even remember who they were. David Luiz and Victor Moses. Okay, it was like one of those awesome... Like, you do that in FIFA, you're going crazy, right? (laughs) It was hilarious and I love Eric Dyer as well, even though he's a Spurs player. It was just one of those things where, like, I mean... It was. It looked really tight until you watched like the replay yeah. and realized that he might have gently grazed uh-huh. both of the bottom of their boots. <laughs> he also right. like it was. It was different from I guess the one the the tackle that got Cahill sent off uh, the week before because also if you look at it in slow mode on the replay, like he kind of pulls out of it right there at the last minute. Right. Well, you know, these are relatable moments to me because unlike you guys, I haven't really played a high level of soccer. I definitely haven't. In fact, my highest level is Beer League Sunday. So I relate to <laughs> Mad Marco. I mean, Dyer's actually probably too good to relate to, but I relate to the hard men, the guys that just kind of, you know, are out there chopping people down and are intimidated by more talented players. Next zonal question mark is best substitution of the weekend. And this question goes to Micah. Uh you know what? I'm just gonna say that Hal Robson Kano, because I mean, he came, he comes on for West Brom, scores, and then gets sent off. <laughs> Another elbow. <laughs> Another elbow. <laughs> and I just have a very soft spot in my heart for Hal Robson Kano, because I mean, like there was that game uh, for against Belgium yep. in the Euros where he, I mean, like it's honestly the best Cruyff turn that anyone has ever Cruyff turned ever. Yep, uh, and did that while he had no team. <laughs> that, that that was the best part. Yeah, 
Um, but he plays for West Brom now. Came on, scored against uh, scored against Burnley. Um, and then got sent off and left his team to fend for themselves uh, for the final seven minutes of the game. Um, which Tony Poulos, uh, you know, was kind of upset about, understandably. It's just kind <laughs> of like he, he said they were those. He was sent off with seven minutes to go, and it seemed like an hour. We had to defend for our lives. What Burnley do, <laughs> they do very, very well, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. We had to ride our luck, but the lads have fought and fought all game. It's a great quote because Burnley are like one of the most defensive teams in Premier League history. So I have no idea what, he, <laughs> no what he's talking about. No clue what about. he's talking about. Uh, how, how often did you guys lead with your elbows? Depends on exactly how many times a defender has stepped on top of my cleats or grabbed my jersey when I'm making a diagonal run. Uh, but I will leave with my elbow if you have recently led with your elbow. <laughs> right. I think is the best answer I can I think, give. I think the elbow is more of an issue for Micah because I'm just shorter than pretty much all the people I play against, so there's no Ryan danger. go for headers. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this weekend there were, weirdly, a ton of impressive sub performances. Yeah. Um, um, there was Raheem Sterling Pedro. yesterday. Uh, Pedro set up the winner for Chelsea. Anthony Martial again coming on and scoring. Uh, in, I mean, yeah, just a lot of good super sub performances. So you know, just keep your eyes out for more more sub goals. Um, <laughs> Martial is just gonna, you know, score at a rate of like. 15 goals per 90 minutes or something I mean, like, like he's 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 so scared now I mean, like <laughs> um next question to donnie best indiv- individual performance of the weekend non-pogba edition <laughs> <laughs> i think it goes to essay uh from stoke uh stoke b arsenal of course and uh, it was his debut uh, like Bayamako, actually, who you were talking about earlier, he uh, has only had like a few training sessions and wasn't really match fit. But uh, Mark Hughes put him out there, started him, and I mean, he was really, really good. Um, did you know? He just showed his class is the best way you could say it. Like every time he had the ball, he was doing something with it. Oh, by the way, have you guys seen his uh, reggaeton videos? No, I have not. <laughs> what? Uh, is this reggaeton you know in the sense of like <laughs> this guy is producing reggaeton music or is it a highlight video? I mean, like, no, no, no. Is no, it no. like he's Karim a, Benzema pushing his G-Wagon around Madrid, <laughs> like listening to Young Thug on he's Instagram? He's an actual artist. I actually hadn't. I knew that he was. I think I had read in the Daily Mail or something that he was a rapper, which is actually incorrect. He's a reggaeton artist. He's a crooner. But I hadn't actually watched the videos <laughs> before. I watched them after the Arsenal match. I could kind of tell that, the, the, you know, like his facial hair kind of indicates what type of music he does because it's very well-groomed beard lines. <laughs> uh, but he does look I'm, like he's from Miami. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? To be honest, like the music isn't terrible as far as like reggaeton goes. So, you know, <laughs> I know it's like a joke for athletes to do music and they're easily mocked. It's not bad. One of the songs actually has 30 million views, uh, and there's tons of girls in the video, and it's, it, you know, there's like a bunch of guest stars. It's entertaining. But anyway. He's wearing a velour blazer. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Sorry, velvet blazer and a black shirt. And he has different outfits, Micah, but. I'm just saying for, this is the first video I've pulled up. 
<laughs> for, for the um, for the match, I did some Ryan O'Hanlon statistics. Uh, he had 30 touches on the ball, so he didn't get the ball that much. I mean, that's kind of a Stoke thing. Uh, but he had three shots, two on target. He almost scored within like the first five minutes. And he, of course, scored the only goal of the game. He also almost created a goal. And, you know, he was... Every time he had the ball, like I said, he was doing something with it. And um, it, it bodes well. I mean, you know, they always say about a player like, can he do it on a rainy day in Stoke? It actually rained that day. <laughs> the, the question for him, I think, is like, can he do it on a rainy day in Burnley or wherever? Because it's the, his <laughs> debut match, new stadium, or, or renovated stadium, I guess I should say. It's against Arsenal. I mean, he really brought it, but... You know, it, can he sustain it? I don't know. I mean, I think the hype about it post-match might have been a little exaggerated, but it does show potential for, you know, being a really good player in the league. So, yeah, it actually makes Stoke. I mean, Stoke, people joke on Stoke a lot that rhymes because of, you know, they have the most Champions League medal winners and uh, and they actually have a lot of castaways, like I say. Um, but I think that they're going to be pretty good this year. I mean, they finished 13th last season. Their defense is crazy, like bully ball. Um, and it was really, you know, noticeable against Arsenal. They were just bullying Zuma and Jeff Cameron and, of course, Shaw Cross. They were just bullying Arsenal players off the ball. Mm. Um, I think they're going to be better than people think. I know a lot of people thought Mark Hughes was going to be on the hot seat because they have a tough schedule, you know, to open the season. But I think they're going to be decent. Okay, well, Stoke is going to be decent, but who is the best team in Premier League history of the weekend? This is a question for you, Ryan. There's only one answer, and that is uh, Huddersfield. They're the only team in Premier League history to win all of their games in the Premier League. <laughs> so I think they should just stop playing now and preserve that perfect record. I used They've... to work with uh, this guy named Ted Berg, who who still works at For the Win in USA Today, and he had a video where he was talking about like really good statistics in MLB, mm-hmm. and he sang an entire song that goes small, small sample, small <laughs> sample, sample size. <laughs> Wait, can I ask a question, Ryan? Yeah. Who who do you think? Do you think Wagner, the Huddersfield manager, is he now surpassed Klopp as the most obnoxious manager in the, in the Premier League? <laughs> he was super over overdoing it after the match. I, I will never speak badly of Klopp um, on this podcast. <laughs> I I think he, I think that's part of this sort of ethos and aura uh, behind this team, like. No one believes in them. Their manager and fans and players are ready to lose their mind at any moment. Um, I think with Huddersfield, so they've now not given up a goal through two games. Defense is as good as Manchester United's. Um, (laughs) Scored four. But if you look at the numbers a little bit, expected goals, they're behind. They've given up 12 more shots than they've taken. Um and, you know, you watch the Newcastle game, which they won one nothing. There are a ton of moments where that game could have went a different way. Um, Newcastle had a bunch of chances. Um, Crystal Palace had chances last week. I, I think there is a chance that Huddersfield is doing something unique um, and playing in a weird way that sort of the numbers don't really pick up on. But currently I, I'm more, uh, I think I'm, the more likely answer is that 
they're sort of dodging raindrops and this is this luck is going to eventually run out um but Aaron Moy the bald uh <laughs> sensation the bald. street fighter character um, Sagat <laughs> just created an, an incredible goal for himself played a 1-2 and then bent it in at the far post um you know if they have guys that can keep doing that um and the defense sort of tightens up a little bit maybe they continue but the thing for Huddersfield is even if their luck runs out a little bit They've already got six points, um, which for a team that just doesn't want to get relegated, that's pretty great. Um, but moving on to our final zonal question mark for Donnie, who had the worst body language of the weekend. That's a very good question. I'm going to let Steven Gerrard answer that one, actually. If you've got a man who doesn't fancy running back and busting a gut and doing dirty work out of possession, you're a man down, so it's got to be addressed. I just worry about his reaction and his body language, and, and when the ball's turned over, he, off, he offers his teammates zero. Um, you know, and away from home, he, he's a liability, if you like. First of all, I should mention that Stevie G and Martin Kuhn together as pundits is the most hilarious thing ever, because they're so cranky. <laughs> and so, like, back in my day, that seeing them seated side by side talking about Ozil is almost like a parody of British media talking about Ozil, uh, except it's reality. Um, you know, Ozil, anytime Arsenal loses or has a poor performance, his performance goes under the magnifying glass, and it was no different on Saturday. Uh, you know, we were talking about this, Ryan, that statistically his game wasn't bad. I mean, he completed the most passes, I believe, 91 of 98. Four key passes in an attacking areas. He created clear-cut chances, actually, for Welbeck uh, and Bellerin, I believe. So he played an Ozil-like game. But, you know, if you look at it half-empty, he had all the tendencies that some Arsenal fans really hate about Ozil, which is throwing his hands up when things aren't going his way, not tracking back on the goal looking disinterested at times, giving the ball away really cheaply in the first half. So it was just another classic half-empty or half-full Ozil performance. But, um, you know, for as long as he's been an Arsenal player, it's been like this. And, and I think this is, what, his fifth, fourth, fifth season? He doesn't even have a signature moment as an Arsenal player. Don't give me the turn on Conte last year, Ryan. That, that, <laughs> I was just going to say, he was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you know, banging like, in that volley at the near, like uh, off of, it was a full volley banging at the near the post ground. into the, no, I mean like there was another one that he drilled into the upper 90 yeah. from like five feet away or something <laughs> or other. I've yeah, never. He, he has a couple, you know, it's not that he hasn't made a nice play. It's yeah. just that if you look at, for example, what Cesc Fabregas did over five years, there's a million trademark Cesc Fabregas moments for the Arsenal. And we don't, we, you know, it's unfair to expect Meze Ozil to be Cesc Fabregas, but here he is trying to be the highest paid player on the team and sort of the talisman and the team being built around him. He just doesn't, again, you know, at risk of sounding like Stevie G here, he, it's, not a, <laughs> it's not necessarily about busting a gut. It's just, I don't think he should be the player that the team is built around. I think, you know, like you said, this is kind of anytime Arsenal doesn't win, like it essentially feels like it gets blamed on Ozil um, because he he just 
people want him. I, I feel like people want him to just look like he's trying harder. <laughs> like he's so smooth and sort of not lackadaisical, but you know, unhurried. Yeah, unhurried. Um, that it looks like he just doesn't want to get involved with the game, and it's just not true because you know, as you mentioned, Donnie, he's touching the ball more than anyone on the field, and he's creating a ton of chances. I think it's it's tough with Ozil. Ozil is. To me, I think he's I still incredible, and I feel like he would be on he could start on essentially any team in the world. You know, we're having this conversation about him, yet he is leading the league in chances created through two games. And like that that that's his job. And if he's creating at a higher rate than anyone in the league, I think it's Wenger and his teammates, it's on them to sort of figure out how to make up for what he's not contributing defensively. Yeah, it's not so much blame. I mean, we talk about this. It's it, it's often black or white. Is he world-class yeah. elite or is he trash? It's not... I don't mean to disparage his abilities because obviously he's a world-class player. Yeah. It's just for the Arsenal, if you replaced him with even Mares or Hazard or Silva or any of these guys, would they finish worse than they finished last season? Mm. It's... It's just something where it's a broke. I mean, the thing is, we're still talking about Ozil, the same thing that we've been talking about, or at least the media have been talking about since he arrived in England. Some some of it's unfair, but the question about this broken record to me is that, like, it, it's it's obviously something's not working uh, with him as the focal point, as as written in pen in the starting eleven for Arsenal, because it's just not. And as much as he can turn a pretty pass every third game. And and touch the ball a lot. I don't know if he's the player that is going to make Arsenal a title contender. And also, and also, we uh, we miss Alexis too. So yeah, but I mean, it's you look at the Stoke game and Ozil plays this like perfect ball from the left wing, um, right onto Welbeck's head at the top of the six yard box. Welbeck goes to head it in. It hits his shoulder and goes over the goal. And then Ozil essentially gets the ball in midfield progresses it up the entire field himself, and then just tees up Bellerin, coming in full speed at the corner of the six, onto his right foot, because he's playing out of position, which we can get to. Um, just sort of the perfect framing of the goal for Bellerin, and Bellerin just passes it to the near post. So it's, I know you want you want Ozil to, like I think people just want him to grab the game more and maybe score more or something, but like he can only do so much um, and his teammates sort of have to finish the process and I I don't know if Arsenal has the players or is playing the players capable of doing that right now yeah and and again it's not to lay all the blame at his feet it's kind of like you know he's like the quarterback right the quarterback gets the blame when yeah. they lose and gets a lot of the glory when they win so you know we're going to be having this argument throughout the season because he's going to have another Ozil-like season Guaranteed, you know, and hopefully he'll find a signature moment in the Europa League. <laughs> <laughs> the winning, um, winning assist against uh, pick any team, uh, AC Milan <laughs> in the final. Standard Liege. Yeah. Actually, let me try the We Miss Alexis in my troops voice. We miss Alexis bad. Bad fam. <laughs> bad fam. I, I, now uh, Arsenal Fan TV is going to hire Donnie away. So uh, <laughs> let's thank Donnie for his um, essentially last podcast appearance with us. <laughs> it's been real. It's been fun. But it ain't been real fun, Donnie. You take it easy. <laughs> thank you, boys. Yeah. Thanks, Later. Donnie.
we're back without Donnie Kwok, never to see him again <laughs> um, as he goes off to Arsenal Fan TV. Um, we want to take a quick run around Europe and focus on the two most important players in the world, um, Christian Pulisic, Pulisic and Neymar. Um, so Bundesliga opened this weekend. Uh, Pulisic won the player of the week in the Bundesliga. Um scored a ridiculous curler into the back post and, and set up the set up a second goal yeah. uh, in Dortmund's 3-0 win over Wolfsburg. Yeah, and this is sort of this was without Marco Royce and Usman Dembele, you know, probably when they're healthy and not uh, <laughs> refusing to play for Dortmund. And not the two linked best, to bigger clubs. <laughs> the two best attackers on the team. Um, and Pulisic, they basically handed him the keys and he knew how to drive the car. Um, so, you know, at this point, it's kind of like, ha- is it possible to even overhype Pulisic at this point? I mean, like, you want to, you always want to say that you're wary of the you know, that specific madness of, of, of crowning the next savior of American soccer. But, you know, like every time that you're ready to, you know, to, to, to commit to saying that he's overhyped, he yeah. does something like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've just, you know, Dortmund is one of the 10 best teams in the world and he's doing this at 18. It's, he, he's overhyped because he's, overperformed every player in American soccer history basically at this point. Yeah. Um, like right opinion. now, today, he's I, the yeah. best player I've ever seen um, to wear an American shirt. Yeah. So I think, you know, essentially Pulisic is headed for the, he's going to be the next guy that everyone talks about when is Dortmund going to sell him? Because um, yeah. that's where we're at with these things. It's He's only 18, but he's already one of the best players on the team. And as we're seeing, like the big teams are now buying these prospects when they're, you know, 18, 19, 20. Yeah. So I think, you know, do you think seeing Pulisic basically turn into God? Does this make <laughs> Dortmund, like if you're Dortmund, are you more likely to tell Usman Dembele that he can go and you take the money from Barcelona? I mean, like you might as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that he's, um, I mean, does a good job of, you know, linking the defense and the, and the attack uh, and finishing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he does all the things that, you know, Dembele does for yeah. for that team. And I think that if if Barcelona is ready to pay through the nose for Dembele, you might as well just go ahead and take the money and reinvest it elsewhere. Yeah, they, they look totally fine without him. And I, th- yeah. I think the sort of under, the point to make here is like, we're now talking of, about Christian Pulisic having an effect on essentially the highest level transactions in the sport, yeah. which is just, you know, not unheard of yeah, from an American player. Exactly. And so the reason Barcelona wants Usman Dembele is because uh, they lost this little known uh, street footballer called Neymar, <laughs> <laughs> um, who... Played his second game for PSG this weekend and against Toulouse and pantsed the entire team. It was if you haven't seen the highlights, you should go watch it. Take um, listen, listen as as something that you should just do today. You know, for yourself, <laughs> just to you know, just in case you are having a less than amazing day, just go sit down for twenty minutes and watch 
the compilation yeah. of his touches from that game. I mean, like, there's flicks. He rainbows the ball over someone's head. He beats seven players <laughs> it's in, in, in one go and scores. He, it's, you know, we knew that the, again, only two games, and but we knew Liga uh, was a step down from La Liga, or at least we thought it was. But, you know, the the lower level teams in Liga, are they that much, did we expect them to be that much worse than the lower level teams in La Liga? Um, but it's, you know, it was like watching a guy <clears throat> play, like a professional player play in Donnie's Sunday Beer League. <laughs> like, that's what it felt like. The The last goal Neymar scores, granted, the game was already a blowout and it was toward the end of the game, so to lose was probably like, fuck this at that point. <laughs> but it was just like Neymar essentially doing whatever he wanted in the box and you knew it was going to end with him scoring. It was like like this famous Zlatan goal um, for Ajax where he just Ugh. dribbles through like 30 people. But Neymar didn't really have a plan and wasn't really in that con- much control of the ball, but you knew he would always figure a way through. So it's like, to me almost, it's, you know, we saw Zlatan score tons of goals for PSG and we've seen all of these really good players put up great stats in France, but it's like, we've never seen someone do this. So it almost is making me think more highly of Neymar than I did before this happened. I think you know? it's just like that that Zlatan goal, the the IX one where he I mean like it's basically a series of just a series of feints. Not even step overs, just yeah. like selling people that he's going to shoot from twenty five yards in, then twenty yeah. yards in, then fifteen yards in, and then walks it past the keeper. Yeah. I think that that one was like a pre-written, and this yeah. goal against Toulouse for Neymar was just like freestyle, free association bars straight off the top. Yeah, and it's just it like you know it's it it might be a little bullshit that one of the top four players in the world is playing in one of the worst leagues. Yeah, and now it's we as we talked about earlier, Mbappe might be joining him, and it looks like PSG is also trying to sign Fabinho for Monaco, who's you know, their best sort of center midfield, central midfielder. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see, like, is this the case every weekend? Because, I mean, Neymar hasn't even played with PSG, he essentially walked onto the field after arriving in Paris. And he's already, like, clearly the best player in <laughs> France. Like, it's not even close. Yeah. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Um, he trashed Barcelona's board um, over the weekend, said the club needed a better board. It's now being sued by Barca for uh, to return his signing bonus that he signed uh, when he signed his new contract last year. I don't think he actually really cares about any of that. Um, he's gonna he's gonna put up incredible numbers, and you know it's just how high those numbers go is really what we're looking for. Yeah, that's it for this week. Um, we'll be back again next week, probably rejoined by our. Fearless leader, I guess I'd call him. Uh, the gaffer, as it were. Yeah, uh, CR. Chris Chris Ryan. But thanks for listening this week, and uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Oh!